Welcome to Welcome to the Uncharted Territories. I'm Max. And I'm Tina. And we're here to discuss Farscape Season 4, Episode 12. Kansas! I really like this episode. I'm so glad you liked this episode. I know time travel's my thing and not your thing, but I love this episode. If you hadn't loved it, if you hadn't liked this episode, I would have been like, no. Well, it was, it was, I'm not saying it benefited from this, but last episode sucked so hard. It was, it was nice to have an episode that was like well-written and fun and where stuff actually happened that mattered. I've been thinking a lot about what the episode that came before this, like what does what does unrealized realities do? What does yeah, okay. Um sorry, tenses are weird because like the title is plural, but what does that episode do? What does that episode do? Mm-hmm. And I like it because I think it's kind of trippy and meditative. And at the same time, I feel like there's almost this like need to explain to the audience why everything happens it's like you're right we if john just went through the wormhole and came out in it's not kansas it's florida if he just went through the wormhole and came out at cape canaveral in 1980 we'd all go okay yeah wormholes make sense but I don't know. They needed to, like, explain the physics of wormholes to us. They really didn't. No, that's what I mean. Yeah. yeah. They just... felt the need to explain the physics of wormholes to us. Now, I like the kind of trippy aspect that comes with it. But look, looking at it from a purely how is this moving the plot forward perspective, we didn't need that. And that's a, a thing that I think comes up a lot for us in in all of our podcasts because we're talking about older media from like the 90s and the early 2000s is yeah would this episode have survived a show that had 10 or 12 episodes on netflix as opposed to 23 episodes on Seafy? it's i'm sorry it's just it's nuts they spent a whole episode establishing something you could have figured out without the episode at all i like, mean i like, figured it out yeah not to not to i mean abed's super smart obviously but you know abed figured it out Okay, just, it just, it reminds me of, there was a, there was a webcomic I was really, really into when I was in, like, middle school. Mm-hmm. And a couple years ago, I had a, I had a lot of free time for reasons, and uh, I decided to check it out again, and I was surprised that it was still running, like, to this day. And part of, part of the comic is that magic is real, like, it's... Sure, magic is real. And I'm at, on board. And since I had all this free time, I, w- I just went through the archives. And there's a there was a certain point where the comic just became about describing the minutia of how the magic system worked. And it was the most boring thing. But like five straight years of the comic is just like, oh, if you shrink, then you need to shift your extra mass into this dimension. But you can only access this dimension by this. And it's like, I don't care. I don't care how shrinking works. I accept that magic exists. You don't need to spend multiple comics explaining why this functions. Okay, so two things. Yeah. One, that specifically in the webcomic, and it's not happening in Unrealized Realities because it's way too early for it to be happening, and I don't feel like it's happening, but I can see how it can kind of give you that vibe. Yeah. The way that media has kind of really annoyingly pivoted to acknowledge bad faith cinemasins criticisms mm. 
And like now it feels like it needs to explain where the extra mass goes when you shrink and shit like that. But yeah, I totally forget what my second thing was. Oh well. It especially bugs me because this is a very good episode, and it basically opens with John saying, "Well, I know what that guy told me last episode, but pff, fuck it, let's just do whatever." Oh, I remember my second thing. I feel like this is almost the corollary to my rule about supernatural shows. Where once the supernatural element is introduced, the clock starts and you have 15 minutes to accept the premise or get the fuck out. Yes. I feel like I want to expand that to the audience now. If you do not accept the premise, get the fuck out. Don't make me a video about how, oh, well, actually, this would create some sort of, like, nightmare disaster, natural disaster scenario because of all the mass that went missing from the universe. Go fuck yourself. I just want to watch Paul Rudd, Okay. Why did the beast servants also get punished? This is something that needs like five minutes to explain. Okay, also, also, this is so not hard. Yes, they've been under a curse for about 10 years, but he wasn't 12 when the curse was laid on the house. Time has been frozen. Actually, according to the prequel movie, he was 12 when, uh... Well, then how come the picture that is shredded in the... Yeah, right? (laughs) Yeah, it's clearly Adam. I mean, I'm not saying that... No, you're making me do it! (laughs) Sorry. I'm I'm not saying that Beauty and the Beast, some enchanted Christmas, is like top-tier necessary canon. Well, I mean, it is because it has Tim Curry in it as the evil pipe organ, and any movie that contains Tim Curry, let alone Tim Curry as a evil pipe organ is required watching so but like la belle and la bette uh la belle et la bette i don't speak french but you know the john cocteau version of beauty and the beast starts with a quote about how you need to just fucking accept the premise of a movie it has it has a thing about how like it's a fairy tale it's a fairy tale fairy tales work on child logic just fucking roll with it also, I mean, there is a very good reason that the staff are punished for the beast's transgressions, and that is because the beast is a ruler and it is a metaphor. His people are punished for his indiscretions, even though they don't deserve it. That's what being a ruler is. Like, that's the thing about kings, right? Also, setting That's that why a- we should kill all the kings. Also, setting that aside, like... Fairy logic literally does not need to make sense. Yeah, also fairies aren't known for their, like, real commitment to equity. They're, they're, they're the lawful evil of the, of the supernatural world. Not, okay, but not to Cinema Sins, Cinema Sins, Farscape. And also not to, like, relitigate unrealized realities, because we're on to Kansas. Yes, we are on to Kansas. Thank God. Now, in the previously ons, we get a lot of what happened in Unrealized Realities because apparently that episode was really, really concerned with explaining wormholes to us. But what we don't get, what I can't believe we don't get, is the quote from that old black magic. I I legit was shocked that we don't get the quote. You know what? Respect, Farscape. Respect that they just expected us to remember and did not give us the quote from that old black magic, season one, episode eight. When Maldus first meets John and is trying to convince him that he has some mystical knowledge of who he is, and he tells him, your mother's maiden name was McDougal, you skipped third grade, and you lost your virginity to Karen Shaw in the back of a minivan, and John says, it was a four-by. I love this. And you know what? 
I feel like it's obvious that this was not a thing that they had planned for. Yeah. Especially because it's a little sweaty how they get from... Spoilers? Yeah. It's a little sweaty how they get from Chiana to Karen Shaw, but... I love it. I love that they did it. I love the way it works. And I also love that this means that for basically every moment until now that John was on the ship with Chiana, John had had sex with Chiana already, even though she had not yet had sex with him. Also, also, and I will talk about this more at length because you know I love a sci-fi story and I cannot shut the fuck up about it. The fact that John lost his virginity to Karen Shaw and that Chiana is Karen Shaw means that John already had gone back in time. This is a predestination paradox. So when John is worried about not upsetting the timeline, he's actually wrong. What he actually has to do is make sure that he did exactly what he did in the past. If we still opened our episode with quotes because we weren't afraid of getting copyright struck. The Futurama <laughs> thing with the professor. The Now remember, when you go back in time, don't change anything. Unless you were supposed to change something, in which case, make sure you don't not change that thing. Whatever you do, <laughs> don't not change it. Which is what happens in that episode of Futurama. Like, it's implied that Fry changes the future past whatever by killing his grandfather but it turns out that he was always supposed to have sex with his grandmother and become his own grandfather yeah that's uh that's why he doesn't have that alpha brainwave thing yeah that lets him fight off the brain creatures they were really setting up something with uh leela being the other and then that never got followed up on okay not to make this like welcome to planet express mm -hmm. Ooh, welcome to new new york what would we call futurama uh, probably welcome to new new york yeah so not to make this welcome to new new york but when Fry talks about how Leela is the reason that he would want to save the future when Nibbler is trying to talk him into sacrificing himself and Nibbler says, oh, she must be the other who was spoken of. Is that real? Was she the other? Or is Nibbler just trying to trick Fry, like to to convince him to save, to sacrifice himself to save the future? I mean... I think that would be assuming too much of Fry. I'm just saying, I don't I, I don't think it's necessarily a given that Leela is a chosen one. I feel like post-reboot Futurama, or not reboot, I guess revival, post-second revival Futurama, didn't really have that much interest in lore building. Every revival is worse than the previous one. Every revival is like a copy of a copy. Yeah, I'm really not excited about the... Uh, and yet, I'm going to watch it. And it hasn't turned me off completely yet. You know why? You know, it's like Once Upon a Time, though. It keeps hooking me because all of its finales are stellar. No yeah. pun intended. Yeah, the Frozen Time one was really good. Oh, God, that one's so good. There are actually a couple of episodes in the last season that are pretty solid. I know, I know, it's hokey, but I really like Leela and the Gene Stock. The one where she starts growing more tentacles, she starts mutating further. Oh. Let's talk about Farscape. Farscape. So last episode, John went through the wormhole. He realized he was at Earth, which is great, but he is just a few miles <laughs> further than is okay, which is to say he is floating in space above Earth, and that's not good. I do like that the shot of Earth we get is upside down from mm. a standard projection map yeah so it 
That's yeah. how space works. Because, yeah, there is no up in space. But I just like that they didn't feel like they needed to to show Earth oriented the way we normally see it oriented. Yeah. So Jonah's like, hey, I need a pickup to, you know, not die. Yeah, it turns out that it's one of those episodes where it seems like John's in trouble, but it's immediately solved. Yeah. Because the wormhole is still opening at an interval that he can that he can keep track of with his wormhole knowledge. So when the wormhole is open, he can communicate with Moya. So he's like, hey, just follow my signal and come through the wormhole and come get me. So they're going to leave Scorpius and Sokozu on the ship. I'm unclear why. And to be totally honest, Targo doesn't really, it's Dargo's call and he doesn't really give a good reason for it. It's like, we're doing this so that we can resolve next week's plot easier. It's easier to resolve next week's plot if we leave them behind, but we're going to get on my penis ship and all go see John that way. Yeah, it feels weird not to leave a babysitter behind. I mean, theoretically, I think Sokozu is supposed to be the babysitter. I don't think any of... They're not seeing the scenes we're seeing. So I don't think any of them is as aware of how ready Sokozu is to throw it all in and run away with Scorpius. Uh, I feel like you should be keeping a better eye on Sokozu. Like, yeah, she is not a trusted member of the crew at this point. Yeah. Like, she's... I like Sokozu, but I would not trust her. Yeah, absolutely. Okay, so I almost feel bad bringing this up, but Aaron is the one driving the ship because she's the best pilot. And they're, like, going through a wormhole, which is hard. And by bringing it up, I kind of negate it, but I respect that the show didn't remind us that that means that the controls must be covered with Targo's bodily fluids. Yeah. It's one of the things that makes this episode so great. They don't remind us that Targo's ship is disgusting. Other than, as I said, it looks like a flaccid penis. It just, it really does, doesn't it? Yeah. I mean, I know I just said, you know, respect to the show for not reminding us of how gross it is. But again, in a weird way, in a weird way, respect to the show for constantly acknowledging that biology is gross, like all biological creatures are gross, and that the future isn't some sterile Apple store as portrayed on, to be fair, one of my other favorite shows or franchises, which is Star Trek. Always one of the things that I don't know how much modern Star Wars kept up with it, but that was one of the things about old the older Star Wars movies is that like stuff felt used mm-hmm. like even even the Death Star, which was like a shiny new thing. It like stuff didn't feel super sleek and clean and modern. It was stuff people used all the time. Yeah. Yeah. So everyone lands on Earth and they have to go to Earth, even though John finds out it's the 1980s. Because... Do they have to go to Earth? Yeah, because just by coming through the wormhole, John may have created a ripple that changed the past. So he needs to go down and make sure he didn't do that. And if he did, he's got to change it back. And plus he has to go down because as I said, predestination paradox. Okay. Did John not learn anything from that episode where they accidentally went back in time and caused a bunch of escalating genocides? Different destinations. Yeah. You brought that up last week. Yeah. It's, it's just like, I don't see how someone briefly appearing in space and then leaving would have shifted the trajectory of, although apparently he did need to go down to the planet, so whatever, but... Hey, if that's the thing you're going to complain about, I've got a bigger thing for you to complain about. 
Is it that this is the first shot of John wearing his ass pants that I feel like we've had in a while? No, but that's always it's always worth complaining about that we're not getting enough of, of John's ass. Well, it's just it's this it's this weird thing where like really early in the show we we talked about it a lot. There are all of these, you know, female the, gazy in in a, in a in a real like female gazy way fetishizing John, yeah. Yeah, there are all of these shots fetishizing John's body and it feels like we've moved away from that a lot as the show's gone on. The show's trying to get deep, Max. It's trying to get deep. Not deep in John's ass, just deep. No, no, the thing you should be complaining about is that John sees John like sneaks over to his childhood home in Florida and he sees that his father is having a little party because he's been named commander of the challenger and he's like oh no i somehow changed history so that my father is going to go up on the challenger and you know die in the challenger explosion but what we know what we know from watching the rest of this episode is that his father was chosen to be commander of the challenger and that the reason he didn't go up is because John was trapped in a burning building and he was hospitalized and his father stayed behind because John was hospitalized. And this John has no reason to think that that's not going to happen because this John does not have the knowledge that the only reason young John was trapped in a burning building is because future John, who is now present John, did it. But I guess if he thought about things for too long then the predestination paradox would be even more paradoxy than it already is. Yes. But yeah, there's an abandoned house right next to John's house. And so perfect. Now they can kind of set up, they can set up shop there. I know this is an inelegant solution, but why don't they just Tanya Harding's ex-husband the situation up? Well, when Dargo is... When the rest, Dargo and the rest of the crew are like, okay, actually, I think it's Rigel who floats this. Rigel's like, um, not to be, not to be a giant dick, John, but does it really matter if your dad dies in 1980? And John tells him if his father dies, it's going to change the whole course of his life, which means he might not start the Farscape project, which means he's not going to, you know, go up and rescue them. So maybe they care about that. Maybe. And I kind of think that a random guy attacking his dad will have ripples he cannot anticipate. Unlike everything else that happens in this episode. Well, it's okay because he just makes the future happen the way that it, or or the past, I guess. He just makes the past happen the way that it already happened. Okay. So there- What about Naranti drugging his dad? Again, you can't know how that's going to change things. Much, much better to drug young John. She could have just, you know, slipped him that thing that makes him poop for 24 hours. That'd keep him from going on the Challenger. It really would have. Yeah. No, you're right. That would have been that would have been the solution that I would have floated. Yeah. Mildly poison my dad. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, I just I just have to point out that they are hanging out in the house and apparently there've been some t- a house next door to John's right, house. Right, right. The the abandoned house that I mentioned. And apparently there've been some teenage squatters living here. Although they're not here now because that would just be way too complicated as far as having to deal with things. And that the teenage squatters have left a bunch of photographs of themselves in front of major, like, monuments. Like, apparently what they do is they go around the country, they take pictures of themselves standing in front of various 
national monuments flipping the bird. And, like, this is Florida. This is Cape Canaveral. So there's one of them, like, in front of a rocket launch flipping the bird. Which is only important because Naranti gets it when John's out of the house and shows it around. And it's like, ah, this must be the standard Earth greeting. It's a dumb joke, but I love it. It's a reminder that this is a cable TV show, too. Oh, yeah. They don't even have to blur the bird. Yeah. Like they did on The Office, like, 12 years <laughs> later. Sorry, I'm listening to The Office Ladies podcast. And one of the really fun things that they do is they read the standards and practices notes that they got back on the episodes. And there's so many where they're like, as previously discussed, you must fully bleep the word fuck with neither the leading nor ending consonant and blur the lip flap. Like, the censors are so het about them saying the word fuck. To be fair, I find the the blurring and bleeping really, really funny. I think it's one of the things that really makes a lot of the jokes in Happy Endings land. Yeah, honestly, it's funnier to do the blur and the bleep. I was just uh, reading this uh, subreddit thread on, on the... Lower Deck subreddit, because mm-hmm. uh, there was kind of a discussion about holodecks, and then somebody was like, wait, do people use the holodecks for sex? They weren't being ironic. They were actually asking, and someone was like, um, yeah. remember when Delete Ransom- the wife. Oh. Oh. <laughs> no, no, I was going to say, when, when Ransom makes Mariner clean out the holodeck, and he, he, tells, uh, he tells the captain that he ordered her to clean out, and what he says is bleeped. And I don't know how this person knew this, but I guess there was, like, an unbleeped version where what he says is biofilter. It's so much funnier when it's bleeped! (laughs) People use it for that? That's a lot of what they use it for. (laughs) Right? I mean, come on. We're all adults here. I really think you shouldn't be able to holodeck up your coworkers then, though. Maybe there are safety protocols or whatever that stop you from having sex with holographic versions of your co-workers yeah honestly honestly that whole thing where boimler made like perfect recreations of the crew based on their personal journals and therefore was able to like get secrets out of the holodeck crew that he didn't get from the regular crew that's a it's a giant that's a giant privacy flaw yeah. but also, also though, in fairness, it's exactly the kind of privacy flaw I would expect to exist in the Star Trek universe. Yes. Farscape. Yeah, so John's gonna, like, sneak over to his house so that he can watch his parents and see what's going on. And he sees young teenage him being a, a teenage dick to his dad because we're all dicks when we're teenagers. Also, John has a sister, apparently. Yep, John has a sister. I think we knew he had a sister. I think she's come up. Okay, was she one of the... No, she wasn't. Why didn't we get hallucinations of her last episode? That's a good question. I mean, John doesn't talk about her ever. It just seems weird that he has a family member that, uh... Maybe I don't... Maybe I only think I remember him having a sister because I remember there being a sister in later episodes. Maybe she hasn't been mentioned yet. Huh. But, okay... So, wait, does she become more of a character later? Well, I mean, this isn't really a spoiler because it's the end of this episode, but John is going to get back to Earth present day. Yeah. And by present day, I mean 20 years ago when this episode aired. Yes. So teen John is having an argument with the non-teen dad. Okay. I have a real issue with this. Yeah. 
the thing is, like, the dickish things we do when we're kids, like, the fights we have with our parents, it's totally possible to have those teenage fights with your parents and then look back on them and be like, I was being a dickish teenage kid. But the thing that John has with his dad is that he thinks his dad is bad to his mom. That's not a thing you look back on and go, oh, I was wrong about that. Yeah. I feel like it's a tiny, tiny bit, a tiny bit of betrayal of Jack, John's father's character, but also maybe not. I mean, the show has from the from go been about, you know, fathers and sons and the way they relate to each other. And just like Dargo and and Jothy had to, you know meet and then have a massive falling out maybe maybe it is necessary for us as the audience to realize that john's dad is not like a pillar of virtue that he has been in john's mind since the show started even though he wasn't when he was a teenager cricket aliens and whatnot yeah also significantly we see lots of pumpkin stickers and pumpkins so that we know it's halloween (laughs) yeah john John is like well that's a freebie (laughs) also teen john does the thing that that you did when you were a teenager, where you hold up your three fingers and you're like, hey, read between the lines. And do you I, remember? That's so dorky. I did not do that as a kid. Okay. Well, it was a thing. I did the arguably much dorkier uh, friend's fake middle finger that showed up like... Oh, God, that is dorky. Yeah, where you like bang your fists together. <laughs> to be fair, I didn't do it often. I graduated to just... I didn't really give people the middle finger that often. It just seemed, you know, I don't know. Like a lot of work? I, I'm i from New England, so I typically deal with conflict by just ignoring people. If if I don't like someone, I just try to minimize my interactions with them as much as possible. So, Got it. So flipping someone off just would lead to more interactions. <laughs> hey, that's fair. That's fair. Anyway, a neighbor lady sees John and she's like, uh, who are you watching the Crichtons from the bushes? And he's like, I'm a friend of theirs. He actually says he's a cousin. And she's like, oh, you do look like John, which are not Johnny. Johnny. Uh, I mean, he he doesn't, but you know what? It's TV. It's fine. And they were standard definition TVs back then. You, You didn't know what anyone looked like. No, no. My real question here is, is John not going to recognize Chiana as soon as she comes on board? Right. I mean, oh, wait, no, never mind. Of course he, of course he doesn't recognize her. Uh, Naranti uses her, like, powder. Yeah. Okay, so he, he kind of is obviously enthralled by the sexy neighbor. And I just want to, I just want to distinguish between the sexy next door neighbor that John is, like, intrigued by and the, the Mrs. Kravitz next door (laughs) neighbor. Who lives on the other side of the abandoned house? Who is just going to have her shit ruined by these aliens? So, back at the house, they're watching, they're all watching TV, and Aaron's showing off how much English she knows. Yeah, they're watching Wheel of Fortune. I love how, like, just genuinely gleeful Aaron is watching Wheel of Fortune. So, John confronts Teen John, and he's like, hey, douchebag, what you being such an asshole for? And uh, Teen John's like, I don't know you, strange man who has cornered me alone in this isolated place. I don't feel comfortable right now. And then John kind of physically overpowers his teen self and uh, 
Teen John. Well, had- he, he he takes his car because Teen John has driven out to like be off by himself in the truck. And so John grabs the car keys and then Teen John like hits him to try to get them back. And then John, by the way, is a little messed up right now. He says he grabs him and he he like wrestles him down and he's like, we don't hit people. We shoot people. We kill people sometimes. But we don't hit people. But he tells young John, like, hey, I know who you are, and you need to get your dad to not fly the Challenger mission. Well, uh, the the thing I was going to talk about is the line where it seems like Teen John thinks that he's about to be sexually assaulted. I did not get that because... Just the get off me, you. He, he Like, Teen John says, get off me, you, and then John's like, I'm not, and we don't. Okay, I, I... It's a really weird exchange. Okay, here's the thing. I don't... I think he might have been about to call him gay because it's the 80s and he was laying hands on him. So, like, that's the best way to get someone to stop laying hands on you in the 80s and 90s. But I don't think he actually thought he was going to be assaulted by this John. In fact, like, speaking of freebies, mm-hmm. his assumption, because his... Dad is an astronaut. They've already been, like, extensively interviewed and profiled and investigated by the FBI and the CIA and all of that. And he thinks that this is just some black ops guy who's trying to test him. Mm. So, like, another, hey, that's a freebie. (laughs) But, yeah, John tells him a bunch of stuff about, like, him helping DK cheat so they can get into the same school so they can stay friends. Hey, maybe that's why the ship didn't work. (laughs) Or, I guess it did work, didn't it? If anything, I guess it worked too well, huh? Mm. And Teen John's like, yeah, fuck you, uh, CIA guy, and just drives off and just like, ugh. Teenagers! And I have a soft spot for for the trope where you, like, meet your teenage self and are just like, oh, I'm the worst! I was the worst! Yeah, I would not want to hang out with my teen self. God, no. So back at the abandoned house, uh, Aaron has switched to Sesame Street, and I love it. Uh, it's the classic bit too with the girl who's doing her ABCs with Kermit and she keeps on saying cookie monster. Like, <laughs> Aaron is so angry. Aaron is like, I am so much better at English than this girl. <laughs> and Aaron kind of reviews how much English everyone knows. Apparently Chiana knows a bunch, which is interesting. Yeah. Like, cause you have to make a real effort to learn. Any language. Yeah. Like, they, they make it clear that Chiana's English is not as good as Aaron's, but she still knows a lot of English. Mm-hmm. Unlike Dargo, who knows three things. Yes, no, and bite me. Which he says is all he needs to know, and to be fair, it kind of is. It covers quite a bit. So, Aaron, oh my god, I kind of, I just, I just want, like, a, a sound clip of Aaron's, I can with the cookie monster! So Chiana decides to go stretch her legs and a neighbor lady sees her and she's like, aren't you a little old for Halloween? And Chiana flips her off. (laughs) She also, by the way, she's taking clothes from the house so that she can fit in. And it is the 80s. So I guess it makes sense that the clothes that are in the house are from the 70s. So Chiana is wearing a real sexy like orange 70s dress I would argue that the 70s outfit that Aaron puts on later in the episode is more like something you would buy at Party City that said, like, 70s rocker. Groovy chick. 
Well, so Groovy Chick would be like a flower child costume. This is like a fake Cher costume that, that couldn't use the name Cher. And John does say later that she looks like Cher in it. Yes. But anyway, the neighbor lady that Chiana walked past comes inside and is like, hey, who's squatting in this empty house? And she sees Rigel and freaks out. Rigel's like, oh, shit. So back on uh, back on Moya. Hey, you remember Boob Lady? Everyone remember Boob Lady? It's been a while since just, we've seen Boob Lady. Just in case they don't, you mean Greza. Yes, Greza. The woman who can control people's minds by honking her boobs at them. Ergo the nickname Boob Lady. Yep. She has tracked down Moya and she and Bracca are about to come on board. And they're trying to decide what they should do. Should they run? What, you know, and... Oh no, it's Bracca. I know, right? But they can't starburst away because of the way starburst works. If they starburst away, they will never be able to find this wormhole again. And the rest of the crew will be lost. And if they run, she'll assume that John is on board and keep chasing them. So Sokozu is arguing they should let her come on board and show them that John is not there. Even though Pilot is like petrified of that. Yeah, for good reason. So back in the past, (laughs) Chiana jumps on top of young john's car and then climbs in with uh, him and he, he like pulls over and he's like hey do you need a ride and okay she's okay like, yeah i do she doesn't know it's john yet she like jumps she she gets into the car by climbing over the hood flashing everyone including us the audience her uh her panties and then she turns up the radio real loud because she loves the radio and he's like what's your name and she's like chiana but the radio is so loud that he hears it as Karen. Karen. And then he's like, I'm John Crane. And she's like, oh, the past just got awesome. A little weird. A little, little weird to go back in time and take your friend's virginity, but. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I was going to try to come up with a thing that makes it not weird. It's not. It's just very on brand for Chiana. <laughs> John's oh. of age, right? I feel like they're of equivalent age here that, like, when you take like alien years into account i feel like it's fine it's fine so meanwhile neighbor lady has called the cops on uh the moya crew yeah yeah they yes and uh dargo's like there's a guy with a weapon should i kill him and aaron's like no because timelines or whatever i'll just go out and show off the fact that i've done 11 million sit-ups in this outfit holy shit i mean jesus christ those abs my god claudia black knew what outfit they were going to be putting her in so she's i can't even i can't even this is Alyssa milano in later seasons of charmed level like whoa this is britney spears at peak shred i mean there it is whoa um but she does give dargo a jersey and tell him to put it on she has put on yeah this outfit this this share looking outfit and she says she tells the she tells the cop um you know my uncle owns this place and he you know we're here we're gonna fix it up the neighbor lady came in and she saw this little electronic toy and got startled though he didn't mean to scare her and then she tosses rigel aside to show that he's a toy and uh i'm here with my grandmother and my older brother and Okay, so Dargo comes out because he sneezes and the cop is like, come out here. 
And pulls his gun immediately. Okay, so here's an interesting thing. She says Narantu is her grandmother. She says Dargo is her brother. When Dargo comes out and he looks like Dargo, the cop starts shouting at him to take off his mask. And I mean, this is this is early 2000s, and I still feel like this is a very accurate portrayal of police enforcement because Naranti blows some Naranti drugs in his face and says, like, Dargo is going to take off his mask. You know, you're going to look at Dargo and you're going to see him take off his mask. You're going to see the human, the human you expect to see underneath. And he looks up and he sees a human take off the Dargo mask. And underneath is not Anthony Simcoe, who plays Dargo, a white man, but a black man. Even though, even though... Aaron has said, this is my brother. His brain is still, like, translating that this scary guy is a black man. Even even without any ability to see, like... Yeah, there's some really uncomfortable... I was going to say subtext, but I guess text here. Especially the fact that he's going to shoot Dargo because he has a sword, which Aaron says is a toy sword. And, he does, and he's still pointing the gun at him. I mean, like, I feel like it's... Not an inaccurate portrayal, and it's reminding me a lot of a human reaction, right? This is this is the whole thing that John was worried about. About this this is the part of his planet that John did not want aliens to see. Yes. So John and Aaron go for a little walk around the neighborhood, and he this is where he's like, "Hey, you look like Sharon." She's like, "Is that a good thing or a bad thing?" And he's like, eh. "He says it works, but." I mean, John, your answer should be, it's a good thing. You look fucking fire right now, Claudia Black. Like, I, look at her. So John sees his mother uh, doing a card reading, a tarot card reading. Yeah. Although, is it with tarot cards or is it just? No, no, they're tarot cards. Yeah. Okay. Because I know that you can do like. You like... can do readings with like playing cards. Yeah. But she's using tarot cards. And he, he pulls Aaron aside and he's like, that's my mother. I shouldn't interact with her, right? And Aaron's like, no, go for it. I mean, just because I hate and killed my mother doesn't mean that you can't have a good moment with your mom, who we all know died, like, a few years before you left. Oh, poor John. Yeah, this is a real rough one. Like, he comes up to her and he's like, hey, I'm also psychic. And I had a, I did a reading that said that if your husband goes on the challenger, he's going to blow up and also maybe get some medical tests done. Just, you know, to get in front of any medical problems you might have. And she's like, my husband might blow up in the Challenger. And he's like. I mean, to be to be fair, he doesn't say the thing about the medical tests yet. Like all good time travel stories, he waits until the last possible minute to maybe change the timeline. And what he what he will say at the last possible minute is when the pain starts, like, don't wait, go to the doctor right away. And, oh, it's just. This whole moment's really awkward because he. Like, he was dismissive to his teens. Like, when he was talking to his teen self earlier, we kind of skipped over it. But he was like, you need to cut your dad some breaks. He's going through a lot. Like, you, I know that the way he treats mom is your mom is upsetting. But, like, you need to cut him slack. And now he's talking to, the, to his mom and he's like, you need to be firm. You can't just... You can't just submit to him like you always do. And I'm like, oh, I feel like the dynamics in John's family are really. He says, I know that you want to be the peacemaker. So you're always trying to, like, please everybody. 
I think he says peacekeeper. No, he says peacemaker because I did check. It's okay. it's obviously very very close to peacekeeper, but no, he says peacemaker. So John comes back to he he goes back to the house, and they're trying to figure out you know how to how to handle the situation. And Noranti's like, now just putting this out there, but drugs. I mean, that is going to be the solution. But before they can really hit on the solution, John's like, wait, where's Chiana? Because he knows. I mean, he doesn't know. He doesn't remember. But, you know, he knows that that even if she's not having sex with his past self, she's out there <laughs> destroying the timeline by plowing her way through it. So she's having a conversation with John and John's like, I really want a young John, teen John, Johnny. Johnny's like, I really want to go up in space and bone alien chicks, but that'll never happen because you have to do a lot of math to go up in space. And Shanna's like, maybe these alien boobs will convince you to go to space. I'm Karen Shaw. So outside the house, outside the house, the the cop, the the honestly very Barney Fife cop. Yeah, this this has real like bewitched other shows kind of dynamic where you yes know, nosy neighbor cop who's trying to figure out the secret wah 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 because he he's peering over the fence and naranti's like hello cookie monster and she breathes more hallucination dust into his face okay so i kind of really love the very trippy setup of the next scene in the drained pool in the backyard there is a she's set up like a television with a, a recliner across from it. And she has him seated in the recliner. And she tells Dargo that she's using him to test the drugs that she's going to use to knock John unconscious because she doesn't want to mess up and kill John. So they get into the cop car. They load up the unconscious. She's like, look, I can do anything to him. And she starts twisting his ear. And Dargo's like, okay, just put him in his machine and we'll just take him back to wherever he goes. The nosy neighbor watches as they load the unconscious cop into the back of the car. He, he falls out. Naranti pulls him back up. Dargo, Dargo places the cop's hat above his, his enormous head. Like, it doesn't go on his head. He just places it there. And then Dargo drives off. And honestly, considering that this is almost certainly a stick shift, and that that is not an intuitive thing to drive, I gotta say, Dargo's doing a pretty good job. Oh, yeah. Stick shifts in, like total nightmare like a car in general is not intuitive yes so the lady comes up and she's like what are you doing and darko flips her off and then drives off oh yes no bite me it's all he needs so grace back on moya is like put a control collar on the beast and pilot's like yeah no we're not going to be doing that i mean to be fair like that's of course, that's going to be the first thing they do. I, I understand that this was probably the best of a lot of bad options that they had in front of them. Mm. But to think that they wouldn't try to put a collar on Moya is naive at best. Ragingly optimistic. But she's like, fine, Crichton. And, and Brock is like, yeah, I'll go look in like the brain hole or whatever. He's probably there, right? Hmm. They're going to search tier by tier, which, uh-oh, means they're going to find Scorpius. Meanwhile, uh, back on Earth... <laughs> Rachel is having a major sugar high. Apparently sugar and chocolate have a huge effect on alien physique, specifically the physique of Rigel. He is like, he is like shaking and he's, he's like going at this pumpkin, like carving it up. 
he's a it's funny because it's an alien that's completely uh you know powerfully affected by a substance that we do are not that powerfully affected by mostly because we're used to it sugar is a hell of a drug honestly yes so he's like i need more get me more it's kind of a weird scene to put in between Braca going off to look for uh, John and Sakosu and Scorpius talking about what they need to do because uh, Sakosu's like, we need to hide the, we need to keep you away from the peacekeepers. If they find you, they're going to, you know, execute you again. And maybe it'll stick this time, although probably not. And Scorpius is like, look, don't worry about it. You hide. I'll take care of the situation. And <laughs> I kind of love this. I kind of love this. Braca comes into the room and Scorpius is like, hey, Braca, you work for me again. Tell me everything about all of the peacekeeper forces that are here. I mean, Braca has always been the Smithers to Scorpius's Mr. Burns. Yes. They have a more overtly sexual Smithers and Mr. Burns relationship, especially because Braca gives scorpius the information and scorpius like kisses immediately him. not even like b- he barely asks him how it is that he's not dead yeah like and scorpius like scorpius granted it's on the forehead but scorpius kisses him after he tells him like these are these are the troops Greza has this is the situation scorpius kisses him on the forehead and then they do the you know beard of ha- uh, beard of fingers thing where they're just like Beautiful holding fingers. Yeah, they're both holding each other's faces, which is very weirdly intimate. But yeah, okay. Back on Earth, everyone like the the nosy neighbor lady is called a second cop, and the second cop is like, "Hey, first cop, why are you drugged out in the back of your car?" And he's like, "I think I need a warrant. I think we need a warrant, and we need to go into this squatter house." So. John tells them the whole thing with the fire, and they're going to drug. Yeah, so this is the thing that I mentioned was the reason that Jack didn't go up on the Challenger. They're going to have to catch, capture, grab whatever young John, drug him so that he doesn't wake up and rescue himself, leave him in the house, set the house on fire, Jack will come in and rescue him, and then... You know, John will be in the hospital. Jack won't go up on the Challenger. That's the plan. So John and Chiana, while looking for young John, are spying on John's mom and his dad. And they're having like a nice couple moment where she is. She she basically convinces uh, John's dad not to go. It it makes me wonder, though, because they're they are they're having a really nice moment it makes me wonder, like, what was, what was John seeing, you know? Like, what was the situation that made John feel like his dad was a jerk to his mom? Well, the thing is, when John's watching the two of them, like, laugh over the cards and stuff, he's like, I, I almost never saw them like this. Like, I, this was such a rare thing. And I'm like... Well, it makes me wonder if... Because, you know, I just said it was kind of a betrayal of Jack's character. Yeah. It makes me wonder if the thing that John was seeing as his dad being a jerk was his parents fighting about how to deal with this asshole teenage son. I'm, I'm not saying that, like, jokingly. I'm, I'm genuinely wondering if that was the situation. I, I don't know. I, I just, it feels a little, like, in that episode of Charmed we watched recently with the flashback to Paige's past. 
mm-hmm. where her parents are assholes for like 90% of the episode, but then right at the end, they're like listening to her and supporting her. And it's like, yeah, they should have been supporting her from, they were not being supportive parents. They were not good parents. So I'm like, just because there was a nice moment between your folks every once in a while doesn't mean they had a good marriage, but. Well, okay, but that's different because in that instance, it's just because your parents were nice for one second doesn't mean they were nice parents. Whereas here, the point is that they had a whole relationship that as their child, you were not privy to. Mm. So maybe it was different, like, from their perspective. Yeah. Anyway, John and Chiana are going to go get young Johnny. And we didn't say that the sexy neighbor girl is Johnny's girlfriend for a number of reasons. One that... It's weird because she seems too old to be his girlfriend. Yeah. But they did that specifically so that when John is attracted to her and like they're kind of flirting with each other, it's not creepy because he's not flirting with a child. But that means that she was dating a child. It's weird. Teenage years are weird. Yeah. So Chiana punches her in the face. She's like, we're in a hurry, John. (laughs) Go grab your younger self and let's go. Stop flirting with your past girlfriend. Little weird that he had sex with Chiana and then ran off to go hang out with the neighbor girl at their secret <laughs> spot together. No, no, he hasn't had sex with Chiana yet. Oh. And Wait, when did when does that happen then? It happens it's it's their next interaction. God. But neighbor girl specifically her name is Kim by the way. Kim specifically says to John when the two of them are, like, watching young John, like, skip rocks on a pond because he's a child. But when they're watching young John, she's like, yeah, he thinks I'm going to break up with him and things are bad between us. So that we know that he's not a total dick to cheat on his girlfriend. He's cheating on his almost ex-girlfriend. It's totally different. Uh, so Rachel is stealing candy from children. <laughs> yeah, he's pretending to be a toy, waiting for children to come into an abandoned house to investigate the toy. And then coming to life and scaring them so that they drop their candy and run. And you know what? You know what? If you as a child walk into an abandoned house, maybe you deserve to have your candy stolen by a sugar high alien. What was that tweet again? It was the, uh, when when I was a kid, if me and my friends had encountered E.T., we would have beaten him to death with sticks. I didn't see that, but, oh. So John comes in, he sees all this, and he takes the candy away from Rigel just out of principle. Chiana and John are in the truck in the garage. And young John. Young John. And Naranti says, you know, the potion's not ready yet. Can you keep him occupied? And Chiana's like, I can keep him occupied with my vagina. Which, I mean, to be fair, is also how Naranti rolls, so. <laughs> they do a lot of face nuzzling and this is the thing you were talking about because uh because they have sex in the back of john's dad's pickup and uh he's like i never thought i'd have sex in the back of a pickup i thought i'd have sex in the back of my two by four four by four by a two by four is a piece of wood yes i know yeah yes yes so um so when shiana whispers to it later she changes the car so it's the car that he imagined having sex in and not his dad's car which is why that's what he remembers when maldus sees into his although maldus does say minivan this is a pickup truck not a minivan maldus but i mean it's still it's still so very close it's um, he's a space wizard it's not like he'd be up on what cars are what (laughs) uh so while this is all going down like everything is coming to a head the cops are have a warrant and they're going to go to the abandoned house. 
Chiana and John have finished fucking and John's just chilling in the house. Naranti's sneaking up on him with a potion to poison him and set the house on fire. He's doing... <laughs> so what happens when you have teen sex and alien drugs you and then <laughs> sets the house you're in on fire. You know, I somehow missed that scene at the hell house, but I can totally, totally picture it. So Naranti actually gives the potion to Chiana so that Chiana can poison him because it's only right after you take a man's virginity that you be the one to poison him yourself. Hey, John. Jack. Jack, John. Tomato, tomato. Yeah. Why don't you, uh, why don't you drink from this mysterious smoking goblet? That's a fun post-sex thing for you to do. Hey, it's Halloween. (laughs) So nothing we do seems weird. Anyway, Aaron and old John come in, and they are in full-on peacekeeper uniforms, and they're like, cops are coming, everyone hide! And Johnny's like, oh wait, what the fuck? Yeah, he's like, hey, wait, you're that guy from, thud. And yeah, he's the, the potion is affecting him negatively because he is a child. He is much smaller than the cop that Naranti tested it on. Also, the cop was probably, like, drinking regularly and stuff. There's probably, like, a bunch of body chemistry stuff. Yeah. So... Young John's dead, and old John's like, ugh, god, time travel. He starts to fade out of existence. And, like, now he's, like, you, he's, his voice, he's basically a ghost now. His voice is still there, but the rest of him has faded away. So John, John's flipping out. He's like, I'm gone except for my voice. What's going to happen next? I'm going to lose my voice. And Aaron's like, God willing. <laughs> Which, mean. Also, shouldn't you be sadder about this? You have that whole thing where John died in your arms. I don't think she believes that he's actually going to die here. And she's right. He's not. So it's okay. <laughs> in fact, even Naranti, John is like, what is happening? And Naranti is like, your past self died and now you don't exist anymore. Calm down. So Aaron opens the door and she's like, hello, police officers. And then she and Dargo just beat the shit out of them. Uh, I, I love John is still yelling and freaking out and around. He's like, oh, my God, it's like you've never died before, which I, we know is not true. He's died many times. So we see her vomit something into young John's mouth and then make out with him a little bit. And it's alien. It's gross CPR. Yeah. And john re-manifests a little bit he's a little he's a little ghosty but he's like more here and he's like okay so i feel like the problem isn't entirely solved i'm i'm still like a ghost and around he's like well why don't you go hamlet up yeah hamlet it up with your dad then if you're take advantage of being a ghost it's a reverse hamlet yes reverse hamlet darko finally finally uses his tongue on the cop because like come on and John goes to his, ghost John goes to his mother and is like, "Hey, John is in the abandoned house and he's in danger." And she recognizes that the voice is John. Like she she recognizes his voice. That's weird because he was physically manifesting before, but now he's back to ghost mode. Nope. Well, I think he's going like in and out. Yeah. It's she was doing a little bit of day drinking here. It's Florida though. I, I just. It's Florida in the 80s. It's Halloween in Florida in the 80s. We had, you know, we had a scene where she was sadly doing the cards by herself. And then we had a scene where she was doing the cards with her husband and she was all happy. And now we're back to her doing the cards by herself, sadly. Well, she has to be by herself just so that he can say, like, go get dad. So, and she can go running for him. And then he can shout after her and also get tested for cancer. 
Like really don't, if you're feeling pain, when you start feeling the pain, don't put it off. Don't put off going to the doctor, which I think is a thing a lot of us do when something's up. Yeah, it's true. But that's also a problem with our medical system because. uh, (laughs) So back on the ship, uh, boob lady's like, hey, Bracca, did you find anyone? And Bracca's like, no, no, I didn't. (laughs) Okay. This is like. So, this is so annoying. Like, Graza is the worst boss. Because Braca's like, I didn't find anyone. And Graza's like, yeah, I know. I already accessed the memory banks. There's no one here. Like, bitch! You mean I didn't have to do all of this? Also, she lets some sort of creature that we don't see loose on the ship and is like... Well, we see it a little bit. We see its shadow. No, no, we see it a little bit. It's of, like black lagoon looking thing we get a, its face it's like but anyway she's like i fed you Crichton's dna and we know he's not here now but when he returns he'll be ours my pet and it's like blah, 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 blah. so they've set the house on fire naranti dusts dusts everyone well, no no not everyone she dusts john and one of the cops and says forget everything and then shiana whispers to john except for karen shaw in the floor by <laughs> But she's about to dust the last cop, and they're like, no, it's too late. There's not time. Okay. It would have taken a second, but okay. In the time it took you to say that, you could have done it. (laughs) Whatever. So they throw the two cops into the front seat of the cop car, and one of the cops falls face first onto the other one's crotch. Unnecessary, unnecessary gay panic joke. I thought that was going to come up again, but I don't think it does. No, I think it's just supposed to be a joke. I think it's just supposed to be like, ha ha, gay panic. Yeah. They're going to assume that one of the cops was sucking off the other cop instead of, you know. They were assaulted. <laughs> um, Jack is in the house to rescue John and knocks himself out because it's smoky. And I guess it's hard in a smoky environment to see, like, hanging light fixtures. And he knocks himself the fuck out. He's going to die in there. Young John is going to die in there. John, oh, Except he's not because young John is fully corporeal now. Old John old john right current regular john. john yeah regular john re-manifested as soon as his mom left so he's like okay well i have a physical body now so i can just drag out you know my dad and young john and well dargo helps him because you know there are two people yeah so they drag them out and then you know run off so that jack is like i have no memory of it but i guess i ran in there inhaled too much smoke and but i saved i saved uh I saved my kid. I must have done this. I'm I'm like uh, Daddy Pig and Peppa Pig. <laughs> wow, it's clear that we are parents. Okay. Ugh. Peppa Pig is the evil version of Bluey, putting that out in the universe. That's totally true. But John carries his kid self out and he kisses himself on the forehead and then runs off. Which is like an important metaphor for like forgiving your past self for all of the bullshit that your teen self inflicted on the rest of the world. Yeah, and uh, John's dad wakes up first and is like, wow, I must have been on autopilot or something. Uh, So, yeah, Jack's alive, John's alive, everything's okay, he's not going to go on the Challenger, time to get out of here. Are we going to see Kim again in a future episode? I'm pretty sure yes. Okay. I'm pretty sure all of these people are going to be in the next episode, but I, I, I won't swear to it 100%. So... Before, uh... Except except for John's mom, obviously, who dies of cancer. Yeah. So, 
John jumps over the wall, but before he does, he makes a meaningful eye contact with his dad. I was supposed to say ridiculously long amount of eye contact with his dad. Like his dad stares at him and he stares back and his dad stares at him and he stares back and his dad stares at him and he stares back. Well, you know, at some point, at some point, his, at some point, his mother is going to say, like, I knew that he was in the house because his disembodied voice came to me and told me where he was. And Jack is going to be like, was that his future self rescuing him? Like, at some point, Jack's going to wonder that. Is this cop going to be a part of the future episode? Yeah. So um, there's this weird moment where, where we briefly go over to the X-Files. Yeah, the cop is explaining what happened with the aliens, and we see a, a woman and a man who are in shadows watching him. Yeah, well, he's explaining, you know, all of the aliens. <laughs> I like, he, he has the he has the pumpkin that Rigel was carving, and it's a very crude carving of Scorpius. And he's like, no human could have done this, even though it's like such a crude carving. I, I, I love that. I really do a little bit. So... Rachel was like, well, your planet was, like, moderately fun. You have any regrets about, you know, shuttling off? And, you know, you want to change anything else while we're here? And John's like, no. I feel like we didn't accidentally cause a genocide. We should probably, you know. Yeah, take the win and move on. Yeah. Narant even says, you know, time has to play out the way it played out. And they message Pilot. And they're like, where are you? And Pilot's like, I am here. I'm where you told me to be, Earth 2003, which is the present and not 19 years ago, Jesus Christ. (laughs) Pilot's like, now you follow my signal and come back to the present. And so he does. Yep. Time for some modern Earth. Yep. Let's go check in 20 years later and see how everyone did. Which is kind of, like, this is kind of in a broader sense what happened with different destinations, but... Obviously. I don't know why... Doesn't end in genocide. I don't know why Rigel's like, another Earth? Like, were you not paying attention, Rigel? They said what they were doing. I genuinely believe he was not. He's just like, when can I get more sugar? (laughs) So, you know, the ship lands and John walks out like super sexy. Jesus Christ. And I mean, this is really... And he's wearing like full Peacekeeper with the long leather coat. And this really is just to differentiate between the John who left Earth and the John who has returned to it. He comes onto the ship and there on Moya's bridge are a few federal agents, including possibly the two that we saw talking to the cops. Yeah. And Jack, who's like, John, it's so good to see you again. And John pulls a gun and is like, not this time, old man. (laughs) Fool me twice. Wait, we already did that. And he asks him, was it a trout or was it a bass? Which, of course, is the question that tripped him up in a human reaction. Which, Jack doesn't know that. Jack has no context for that question. Honestly, any answer other than I have no context for that question should result in getting shot. But, you know, credits. So, yeah, uh, I really like this episode. Me too. I feel like this episode is so strong and it's such, it's like, it's a good Farscape episode. It's a good time travel episode. It uh, it does all of the things that I... It, it gives me all of the things that I want from Farscape, which is like space is rough and time is messy and 
Also, John and Aaron are super sexy. Yeah. Like, I mean, Jesus Christ, that Cher outfit. Oh, I, I don't think... I, you need to Google it, listeners. If you don't know what we're talking about, you need to stop right now and Google it, because it is, like, Cla- out of control. Claudia Black is cut. It's out of control. <laughs> I feel like... I feel a little dirty objectifying her as much as I am right now, but it is, like... But, I mean, like... Oh. All right. <laughs> I mean, she's a she's a gorgeous woman. I, I I feel like I'm on record as saying that she's a gorgeous woman. I saw this thing about someone was talking about how it's wrong to draw fan art, sexy fan art of characters from TV shows because you're just drawing actors and it's basically putting real people in sexual situations they didn't consent to. And I'm like, I don't know. I feel like if you're on a TV show, you're kind of consenting to have your image exist in that sphere. I don't feel prepared to go into that can of worms. Yeah, that would. It, there's a whole discussion around that. But I, I will just say that if, if you are in a TV show and that thing makes you uncomfortable, just as a piece of practical advice, I would like block any tags that are for fan art and not go on AO3. Yep. The, there was a thing... Uh, I think it was the guy who did, uh, there was a guy who was doing some Cartoon Network show, I want to say, or Nickelodeon, maybe Disney. No, no, I think this was Cartoon Network. Yeah, I think I know what you're going to say. He he had a, he had just got his show picked up and a guy took him to this like file room in the basement. He's like, before we go forward, I want you to see this. And he opened up a drawer and in the drawer were, was like a file full of uh, pictures of Kim Possible porn. And he's like, this is what's going to happen to your show if we produce it. I just want you to... I, 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 mean, I was reading a thing from the showrunner about how, like, they prep you for the fact that if you get a show produced, it's going to have weird porn drawn of it. I mean, it's all predates the internet. I mean, there used to be old hand-drawn porn pre-internet that got Tijuana passed around Bibles. of, you know, Mickey Mouse and Donald Duck. Yeah. So, you know, it's not nothing nothing new under the sun. The, the the very first piece of art that was made was art and the very second piece was somebody doing a porn a porn <laughs> version of that art. Yeah. Let's talk about our segments. Yes. Like John, we have also gone to a distant part of the universe, although we've come back home now. Mm. Uh so the, our first segment is which world building worked for you in this episode? None, really. I mean, I... I mean, we were on Earth, right? We, we, were, we were on Earth, I mean. <laughs> I really thought that this this bizarre place called Florida was was well was well thought out, if a little, if a little unlikely. Yeah. yeah. I can say that I'm from Florida. I feel like the same thing will also apply for strange alien creatures. We don't get new aliens in this. It's true. Our second segment is strange alien creatures. I mean, we what... do see a second of the... Uh, creature that we don't see enough of that creature to really talk about that creature right now but yeah what alien design worked for you and again we're yeah we're we're on earth so uh, it's it's funny because you know yeah our segments are based on john being out in space but john is on earth in this episode although our final segment which used to be called looking for a way home because that's (laughs) what the monologue used to be and is no longer appropriately, and is now The Wonders That I've Seen, which is what the monologue says now, which is what emotionally resonated for you in this episode. And I actually have some stuff for that. I have a thing which I feel like is probably not going to be one of your things. It's it's an understated moment, but I really like the bit where John kisses his teenage self on the forehead. Like, 
it's such a thing to kind of confront a former version of yourself and like see your own flaws from a different perspective. Yes. That makes sense. Um, I'm too busy cringing at what my teenage self was like to do that. Yes. But I I appreciate it. For me, it's the the meeting up with his mother. Both both scenes where he meets with his mother in the past. They honestly, I get teary for for both of them. The yeah. kind of the knowledge that this is a moment that is in the past, even as you're reliving it, and his desperate and knowingly futile hope to circumvent the future. Yeah. John scenes with his mother for me. They're they're the they're the things that emotionally resonate for me in this episode. Not to talk about reboot Futurama again. We opened the no, episode I with know it, that... the Game of Tones episode, which is mostly really really bad. Like uh, it's that thing where there's the mysterious ringing that's going throughout the universe. No, no, I know the episode you mean. I actually don't think uh, well. Maybe I only don't think the episode is bad because the scenes with his mother. At, oh at the my end, god, like, they fucking slay me! The bit where he just he gets to go like they the nibbler like lets him into his mother's dream and he's like, it, "Is this real? Will she remember?" It? And he's like, "He won't. She won't remember it, but she'll know it happened." Oh, uh, f- yeah. No, it's heartbreaking. I I was actually thinking about that. I was watching this. Um. But yeah, it's funny how much revival Futurama has come up in this episode because, um, you know, Fry is a man out of time, just like uh, John is a man out of his world. And now, you know, John is out of out of time and out of his world. And they kind of have to make Fry like he had a not great childhood he didn't really have any friends he was a huge loser so that he's not completely psychologically broken from losing every single person he ever knew and some of the later episodes do kind of play with the fact that even though fry has found a home in the future even though his relationship with his parents wasn't great he still or brother he still lost all of these connections he still did give stuff up like he still did lose things like the episode with Yancey is one of the hard hitters. The why the not the why of Fry, uh, luck of the Fryish. Yeah. yeah. When people talk about Jurassic Park, I'm like, whatever. Let let's talk about luck of the Fryish. Are we gonna have to do Welcome to New New York? Is that is that is that, what, is that what's happening right now? We're gonna have to talk about weird season one slow talking bender. Yeah, and then should we just stop at the the devil's hands are idle playthings? It's the perfect. I want to see how it ends. Is the perfect. Oh, it's the perfect last line. Okay, but this is not. <laughs> this is not welcome to New New York, and also it is no longer welcome to the uncharted territories because we are done. That does it for this week. Our show is partially listener supported. If you want to be one of our supporters, head over to our website www.welcometotelevision.net and click on our Patreon link. We'd like to thank our current $5 and above patrons, Beryl, Patricia, Rosa, Ryan, Maracruz, Benjamin, Kate, Jen, and Dan. If you'd like to support the show in other ways, you could always rate and review us on Apple Podcasts. It helps other people find the show. If you want to talk about this episode or any episode or any episode of any television show, you can tweet at us at I Love TV Zines for as long as Twitter exists. Or you can email us at I Love Television Zines at gmail.com. So until next time, I'm Max. And I'm Tina. And this has been Welcome to the Uncharted Territories. Bye. Space noise.